I'm Natalia Loback, and this is Change Course. A fish out of water. Have you ever walked into a place and just thought to yourself, oh boy, I don't know what is going on here, but this is not for me. That, in essence, is organizational culture. Like the air we breathe, it is everywhere. To truly understand how to change a culture, we must first understand what is our culture. In the last episode titled Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose, I chose this title because it really describes how enduring culture can be and how difficult it is to change. Because culture is so much an experience that we have while we are inside an organization or a group, it is one of those things that as you come into the organization or as you come into that group, you become accustomed to or almost indoctrinated into that culture and culture has a very strong gravitational pull. It's why you can leave an organization, come back after 10 years and say, oh, nothing has really changed here. And in many ways, cultural change can be organic, but the pace of it is over generations. It takes an incredible amount of time. Culture, like many other systems, is an intangible system. It's an intangible system within organizations that govern how people behave and interact with one another and how things get done in the organization. So when you are seeking to make any kind of change, culture is absolutely something that you need to be considering heavily. I'm sure you've heard the saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast And in many ways, it's true. If we do not pay attention to the prevailing cultural norms, how things get done, and that culture within the organization, any change that we implement where it has friction points against the culture will be swallowed up into that gravitational pull. This is where we see a lot of what other change methodologies call resistance. And I believe it's inadequately or incorrectly classified as personal resistance. So resistance among people. When you're a change manager and you go into the organization and you start asking people, well, what about this? Or we're going to change that. You're going to hear the response. Well, that just won't work around here. That is not resistance. That's an expression of the prevailing culture. Whenever I am embarking on a change journey within an organization, this is what I am looking for. I want to know. I want 
to hear about those times that when I make a suggestion or I talk about a change and people respond to me and say, well, that just won't work around here. That's not how we do things. That's when I get really excited because that's what I want to know. I want to know what is the culture? What's the prevailing culture here? How do you do things? Why won't that work? Why is that a conflict? Tell me about it. I need to understand how things get done around here in order to understand how I can impact or change them. So any change that is blind to the prevailing culture of the organization will eventually fail. Or where we talk about things like change slippage, going back to the old way of doing things, not wanting to change. Sometimes that gravitational pull of the prevailing system in the organization plus culture gives you that heavy, heavy resistance that results in change failure. The challenge with change failure is then it becomes part of the story. So we tried that it didn't work. And here's your proof as to why going against the prevailing culture is always unsuccessful. When we look at successful change, it either needs to be done in the context of the culture, or if you have to change or uh, modify a behavioral pattern that is occurring that is a cultural behavioral pattern. You need to do so in one of two ways. One is you need to change that behavioral pattern everywhere so that that behavioral pattern is no longer the prevailing norm or you need to build your change in the guise of almost a subculture. So if you want to, for example, build innovation in your organization and your organization is a manufacturing company where you are responsible for producing a high volume um, of products at a very high level of accuracy with a certain amount of speed, reliability, frequency, your culture is not going to be one of innovation. Your culture is going to be one of precision. You'll see change there, but it's in continuous improvement. It's about how do we make this process better, more efficient, more reliable, more accurate. But innovation is not about that. Innovation is about testing new ideas, failing quickly, If you tried something and you failed, it's still a success in innovation cultures. Why? Because you learned something from it. And that learning can then be taken and put into place to make future innovations successful. The expectation isn't that the next innovation will be successful. It's that some future one will. But the learning process is as celebrated as the success. So if you're a manufacturing culture and you need to innovate because you want to stay ahead of the market, you want to introduce new products, you want to beat out your competition, you got to do it in a subculture. You cannot have two cultures in an organization clash. Like I mentioned, the culture is going to be driven by the business operating model and the prevailing purpose of that business. The purpose of the business in a manufacturing business, in this case, is to produce 
specific outputs or products reliably, quickly, and to a high volume with a certain level of perfection and accuracy defined within acceptable norms. That is not going to work for an innovation culture. So again, looking at how the business and the culture are in alignment, creating a space for innovation, you're going to require a subculture. Keep an eye on the articles coming out this month. Um, I actually wrote one that does a deeper dive into this area and talks a little bit about a case study um, from one of the clients that I was working with on this specifically. So um, this is where if you're really going to change this culture, you got to understand it. So in the last episode, I talked a little bit about how we define culture and how we look for metaphors and archetypes that will help us define the culture. The next step that you want to take is you need to define or describe the interactions that happen and how the interaction happens and the behaviors of the organ that happen among the people in the organization. So what management or leadership behaviors are acceptable and not acceptable? What behaviors are acceptable from individual contributors and team members? What are the interactions that occur? Are they primarily top down? Do you have collaborative interactions? How do people work together? What does that look like? The interactions and behaviors in your organization aligned with, obviously, the business, the values, all of those things are going to help you define that culture. Then when you're looking at things that you want to change, you have to define them in terms of behaviors and interactions. Because the only way that you can actually change the way something feels is by changing how people behave or interact. Because this is all about how people interact and relate to one another in the context of the organization. So for example, I worked in one organization where, um, and and this wasn't a very um, functional group, but I worked in an organization where it was okay for the leader to, um, to essentially in a public meeting with the team members to berate one of the uh, managers and the leader would do this on a regular basis you know sort of rotating um you know musical chairs in terms of which manager it was that was being berated but this was an acceptable behavior in another organization that i went to this was absolutely not an acceptable behavior so you have to be able to define that the behavior itself is unacceptable and that you want to change it. I also worked in another organization where um, when you were putting together in a collaborative effort, you were putting together a, uh, we, we did a lot of uh, public bids. So we were working together on public bids. We were as a team collaborating to pull it together. And in this organization, it was 
actually acceptable to call out if there were individuals who are not contributing their part or um, if there were pieces missing and to do so uh, publicly and hold people to account. So it was not acceptable to berate or to tell somebody that they weren't smart or, um, you know, or tell them that they were doing a terrible job uh, in that way. But it was okay to call out and say, we are in a team effort here and this person needs to meet this deadline. They're not pulling their weight. And that was okay. The reactions and responses from the individuals who were being called out um, was actually positive and it wasn't seen as, uh, you know, a negative interaction in other organizations that never would have, that never would have happened. So culture of accountability. What does that look like? What are the behaviors and interactions around accountability look like? And can you describe when something happens? You'll know you have good definitions around the interactions and behaviors. If you can say, what would happen if, and you outline a scenario, and then you're able to actually describe what the outcome would be. So that's what you're aiming for when you're trying to define the existing prevailing culture. Something else I want to talk about in this idea of understanding the existing culture is prevailing cultures or um, the place, the, the culture of the society that you are in. So of course, when I am talking about this, I'm speaking specifically about my experience in Canadian corporate organizations. I also work um, quite a lot out of the United States, and there's a very different culture in the U.S. as compared to Canada. This comes through in some of the interactions and the way people um, interact in the cultural cultural context of Canada versus US. I've also worked in Europe and I've also worked in India and these cultural, the, the culture of the place that you are in, the culture of the society that you are in also plays a role in your understanding of the culture of the organization. And it's important to be able to identify, but also separate the two. So a couple good resources on this to really understand how that works and how that looks. Uh, the Culture Map by Aaron Meyer, great read, uh, highly recommend so that, you know, it helps you differentiate and separate, tease apart those pieces. And The Cultural Intelligence Difference by David Livermore. These are two books that I've read that I rely on, um, that I use the concepts from in thinking about prevailing culture and culture of the organization. You'll also see this in subcultures within broader cultures. I can speak very specifically about an example that I have. I worked with an organization um, of physicians here in Canada, and this physician organization had created an incredible culture within their group. So they were self-aggregated, they were working um, and providing service to a hospital here in 
Canada. And they had developed for themselves this incredible working collegial culture that was just phenomenal. One of the things, though, that I had to tease out when I was working with each of the physicians as we were trying to figure out what was happening with something related to their business model, um, this is where I started to see the relationship and the conflict between the amazing subculture they had built and then the prevailing broader culture of medicine in North America. And so there is a specific culture that is exists within the medical field and medical practice within, and I would say broadly North America. So Western medicine subculture. Um, and it's very interesting because there are some elements of this culture which are uh, number one, patriarchal, and then also very, um, there, there is, because of the patriarchal culture, some uh, sexism that goes along with that as well. So you do see there is a preference for uh, men to be in, in positions of leadership within this broader physician subculture. Um, and, you know, it, it can be quite difficult for women and people of color to find their way um, into positions of power and leadership in this prevailing um, culture of medicine. So when we looked at the subculture of the organization, we had to tease out, well, what was some of the influence of the culture of medicine? And then what was the culture that had been built within this organization. And we could start to see that where there was a conflict or a push against the prevailing culture, um, you could see that there was some areas of uh, discomfort. And I speak to this specifically for some of the people who were working in this amazing organization who had experienced this incredible culture and really saw in many ways equality in action um, and then kept on running into the same problems outside of that subculture in that dominant culture of medicine. And so that is a really good example of how subcultures and broader cultures interact and then also conflict. Um, You'll also see that in terms of broader societal culture and, you know, how that plays out in the organization. So keep an eye and also think about what is the culture that you are participating in from a uh, societal perspective, as well as, um, you know, what are then some of the assumptions that would flow through into an organization because of, um, you know, the country and the culture and the society that the organization is part of. So those are some of the factors that I use to break apart how to figure out what, uh, you know, how to define that culture, what are the interactions and the behaviors, how does it link to the business, how are the organizational values being lived out, 
And then what is that broader cultural context that we need to be mindful of and understand in order to determine what's really the culture of the organization and what's just, you know, culture at large um, that you're seeing expressed, but, you know, isn't specific to the organization, is more of a broader societal cultural influence. I hope this was helpful. We have a few more episodes on culture coming over the next couple weeks, but stay tuned for all of our great content this month. It's culture month here at the change course podcast and at chart house. So enjoy, kick back, relax, and stay tuned for all of our exciting content on change, organizational culture, how to change culture, and how to change well and make sure that you are taking advantage of some of those cultural levers, but also being mindful of the culture and ensuring that your change is successful. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, I invite you to like, rate, share, and subscribe because it helps others find us. Our music is Levity by Emily Clausen. Change Course can be found wherever you get your podcasts. And we have an accessible version with fully edited captions on YouTube. You can find the link to this version on www.charthouse.ca in the Change Course podcast show notes. While you're visiting us, sign up for the Change Navigator newsletter. We're launching shortly, and you'll get a monthly dispatch of all things change and hear about the upcoming launch of ConnectedChange.com. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's never too late to change course.